0: One of my professors kept signing one of her emails saying, Be kind to each other. At first, I looked at that and I was like, Oh, that's a nice little memento. I think that as we go through this, that has meant a lot more to me, just in regards to none of us know what we're doing right now. Literally, none of us. We are all navigating these waters for the first time together. And so, to place blame, to do all that, that's not productive. We are all equally blind together, and that's not a bad thing. That just means that we need to use each other and that we need to talk to each other. And again, I really appreciate you giving me this platform to possibly shed some light on that, that the student perspective does need to be brought into this conversation, because this is a two-way street.
1: Heather Jarling is a rising senior at Colby College in Waterville, Maine. She, like her peers, is facing an unsettled future. This cohort spent the last three and a half months running to keep up with the shift to online education that many of them did not sign up for. Of course, no one signed up for the changes sweeping education as a result of the pandemic, and the rising voices around racial injustice will be additional concerns you will need to face. We need to listen to one another now more than ever as our expectations, needs, and requirements shift toward the fall. Heather and Howard explore what the transition to learning from home meant for her and what students like her are looking for in their educational experience as we face the fall term. If you're an administrator or a faculty member and you're looking to understand your students' expectations leading into next year, this is a must listen. Next year's class is looking for a signal for change ahead. And as you'll hear in this conversation, finding the middle ground that demonstrates they've been heard today will go a long way when you need to ask for their flexibility tomorrow. And now, Heather Jarling and Howard Tybel.
2: Good morning, Heather, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you? I just woke up from about two days of sleeping after finishing up finals on Monday. So it really is good morning for me over here at 2 (laughs) p.m.
2: You have to know that you are the first student we have had on our podcast in 212 episodes. Shame on us, but I'm thrilled to have you be the first one.
0: Thank you. I'm very excited.
2: We've had a number of conversations about what this experience has been like for you uh, in the period when COVID hit and where you are right now. I think you bring such a rich perspective to what it's like to be living through this right now. And for those who listen to this podcast, whether they're in student affairs, whether they're in finance, whether they're in advancement, they're looking at how are we going to serve this generation or get through the fall but also longer term, how are we thinking about where we need to pivot as institutions, uh, knowing that we've got this emerging new student, and now we've got a whole different way of thinking about online. So there's a lot we can talk about. Where would you like to start?
0: I guess we'll just start at the very beginning with when COVID came rushing onto Colby's campus and... I guess it was, it was a Thursday, I remember, and the entire week was perfectly normal. And then all of a sudden, I was packing up and heading home on a Saturday. So, I mean, that jump, and again, it's no one's fault. It's not Colby's fault. It's not, I mean, we're talking about a pandemic here. So clearly an unprecedented situation for all of us and heading home while still doing classes, obviously very difficult, but I think just trying to adapt. And this is not just from a student's perspective, but obviously from the professor's perspective as well. They had basically a week and a half to say, completely retrofit your entire curriculum and then get back into the game. And also students get back in there and, you know, everybody's home situations are different. So, I mean, I think just reflecting on how quickly that change happened is really ridiculous to me that going from a Thursday to a Saturday, right? I mean,
2: Well, you know, it's interesting listening to you. Uh, A lot of our work is around helping people uh, cultivate resiliency. I have a great deal of confidence that this is a defining moment that young people are going to step up into. You know, I have to tell you as a parent and talking to other parents, there's a certain kind of sadness, just Two minutes ago, there was a parade that went by our house, and I saw people hanging out their cars, and they're graduating their kids. And I think there's probably more loss at the moment that parents are experiencing for their children that younger people just seem to be adapting.
0: This reminds me of something that we did in my own apartment. We had on a little whiteboard that said, we're going home on one side, or we're staying on the other side. And everyone who came into our apartment, we said, put a tally mark on the side that you think. Do you think we're going home? Do you think we're staying? And this all happened within like one day because as soon as Amherst made the call and we started seeing other schools closing and whatnot, we said, okay, let's see if Colby's going to hang in here or not. And I remember, this is one of those things that you look back, like a flashbulb memory, something that you say, oh, okay, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. I was laying in bed, I opened up Twitter and I saw Donald Trump basically establishing the European travel ban. And at that point, I said, oh, this is this is it. This is going to be the turning point. And I walked down to the kitchen and moved my tally from it, saying, no, we're staying to, oh yeah, we're going home. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is that when you have such a short amount of time to think about things or reflect, you end up just adapting. Like we realized, oh, okay, we need to go to Staples and get bins to start packing up our things. We need to go and return our instruments to the school. We need to, all of a sudden it was just go mode because there wasn't a second to say, okay, like, what does this mean? Because we had to be out of there in two days. Now, when we came home, that thought process obviously changed because you had a little more time for reflection. But I really do think that you're right with the resiliency that, I mean, we just keep saying, okay, what's next? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to handle that? And I really do think that that really is a really big positive coming out of this, that if we can all handle this pandemic, you know, with as much, I really think it's been dealt with a tremendous amount of grace from college students in general, then think about what we can do in the future. I think that's a really positive takeaway.
2: You're looking at a couple of possible paths, right? So you and other students, which is, all right, let me see what the school's going to do. And do I step back in and basically, I'm three quarters of the way there. Let me get through this. I don't care how they deliver the education. uh, I'm going back. Uh, or do I take a gap year, uh, which has all kinds of interesting complexities? It could be an opportunity, but could also step you away from your education experience and so you lose some momentum. And I can tell you, administrators are are sitting watching this live right now, which is now that students have put in their deposits for the next year, will they actually follow through? I'm curious what you're hearing and what you're feeling about returning in the fall and the different ways your fellow students are navigating this?
0: I'll answer this in two ways. One, that's a little more Colby-specific and then also talking about this in a broader sense. One, I think that Colby has, at least for me, the way that they've been dealing with this, I have a fair amount of confidence in the way that we're going to move forward just in regards to, okay, Colby is paying students for jobs that they're not able to actually be doing on campus right now. They are working to make sure that students have internet. They are making sure that students have access to things like Adobe Suite. Like They've been doing so many things that I am slightly more optimistic in the future of online learning than I was before they started making those changes.
2: So it seems to me that what they're also showing is a certain kind of care that would get you to feel like, you know what, they're making an effort. Maybe
0: this could work, right. Yeah, But
2: great message, but let's get to the bottom. But
0: yeah, but at the same time, I'll tell you this. So I have a cousin who said to me, if my school goes online next year no way am i going back i'm taking right. a gap year and that's not an isolated message i mean i have seen lots of kids actually putting up on instagram these little polls saying if school goes online what what are you thinking and one of the one of the stats was 82% said no way am i right. going back to doing right. this and that's really difficult because the thing is is the way that online learning is being conducted right now is really not how it's going to be or how it should not be (laughs) in the fall simply because the summer, at least in the ideal world, will allow people to have the time to prep and to figure out what methods could actually work and whatnot. I really do think that students taking gap years or deferring or whatnot, if they can, I'm not sure what the whole deposit situation is and whatnot, I, I do think that will be a popular trend, because it has been incredibly difficult to do online learning. But I also think, though, that something that is worth noting is that this doesn't mean that online learning is inherently flawed. It's the fact that online learning right now has been coupled with a pandemic, possibly the most stressful thing that any of us have ever gone through. So I don't think that people should just say, oh, well, online learning, toss it out the window.
2: What they're dismissing, though, they're looking at what they had to do to get through the remaining semester remotely. And that is not online learning, right. Right? right? There are online learning programs that were designed to be an online experience. So, you know, I know that many schools are really pivoting to saying, how do we turn our remote experience to a true online experience? Uh, and there's lots of creative ways they're thinking about this, including how we're going to practice social distancing. You know, Colby is a relatively small school, but if you're a large university with 25 to 40,000 students, What you're looking at is all kinds of things, including how you're going to use large lecture halls. Students are going to study uh, in their rooms. Uh, They're going to use remote learning in certain ways. They're going to be prepared for pivoting if there is a reoccurrence. Uh, So there's lots of strategies that right now institutions are looking at. But their primary concern is, can they build enough confidence in students to say that We're willing to come back and believe that the institution is going to do their best to take care of having this experience be a useful experience. You know, the other thing that's understandable is that, you know, if you talk to a lot of faculty over the years, they look at all the student experience uh, acceleration in terms of cost, right? I mean, there was a time where if you didn't have the highest climbing wall, uh, in your region, you were at risk of losing a student to the other school. Right. And then the, you know, now it's just normal, right? Starbucks and campus, all of the student amenities. When I mean, you talk to faculty, they recognize that this is providing a broader experience in this transition into adulthood. There's an argument to be made that you can't have it both ways. You can't, as an institution, say in one breath, we are going to, produce an experience for you and we're going to not provide a student experience but expect you still to pay the same price how do schools think about the kind of tuition that they charge for the full experience where if they can't deliver on that right away
0: Right, it's also going to be very interesting once those numbers, because they're going to have to modify, obviously, if it's going to be online learning come fall, because that will also show how much are they valuing their academics and compared to the other student factor. And we'll actually be able to see like a, quanti- a quantitative value put on how much is that student experience really worth. When I go and I say, well, why did I choose Colby? Yes, of course, it was the academics, but I, I think many college students can speak to this. Oh, well, I liked these facilities. Oh, the students right. were friendly. Oh, I like the. I mean, a lot of it has to do with what you are actually doing and being able to physically experience on campus. And when I look at the classes that I just completed for this semester, I can honestly say that I do not think that my academic education has suffered. Like, I really think that my professors, they made sure that everything had an electronic copy online for the readings. I mean, I was still doing all the same amount of work. I know that that's not the same experience some other college students have had, but, but to be quite frank about it, I was fairly miserable while doing it. And I absolutely love learning. Like, I really, really love going to my classes and having discussions and whatnot. And this felt more okay, let me go and check off these boxes and get through my Zoom classes than actually being involved in the classes.
2: And that's a really important message. So, if there has to be some version of online or hybrid, how do you create an engaging experience so that that social experience is really going to feel present for the students?
0: One of my professors did this blend between asynchronous and discussion-based learning. So, I know of a couple professors who said we're going to do everything asynchronous, meaning they're going to pre-record lectures, they're going to post them online, and then they're going to post a complimentary quiz, right? And so the student can go on and do that whenever they want before the due date, but they're never going to an actual class. They're just going on and basically playing a YouTube video and filling out a quiz. And so a lot of students, and I think that it's very reasonable for students to think, well, this is simply not what I'm paying for. And then even take economics out for a second. You know, this is your education. And how much are you really getting from that? And how are you supposed to take a math class online when you can't raise your hand and ask a question? And I think the problem with that is when it's not dynamic, is that someone who would normally have a question, what they would have to do that extra step of, oh, well, I'm going to have to send an email to do this, except for the kids who are really, you know, okay, I'm going to go take my time to send that email. A lot of kids are just going to say, oh, no, it's okay. The learning suffers because of that. Now, I think that there's a good balance here that one of my professors did. She said, okay, Tuesday, our class is going to be asynchronous. Thursday, we're all going to get together for a discussion. So if you had questions about what was happening on Tuesday, whatever it may be, let's come and talk about it. I know that that's not a possibility for some of the classes that are larger. I mean, I'm talking about classes that have about 15 kids in them. So a discussion is easy. Some of the larger lecture based classes at Colby or at other institutions, when we're talking 70, 80 kids, how are you supposed to, you know, sit there in Brady Bunch format and have a real discussion? Right? I think that in that case, one solution could be to do more group work saying, okay, we're going to break up on Zoom so that you can actually go and have a discussion with five other kids.
2: You know, what I hear different from you now than when I talked to you right after you went home is your mood seems to be a lot more optimistic.
0: Well, I'm trying to be. (laughs) But I really do think that now that I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I think, a little bit. What
2: is that light?
0: Well, I think that as crazy as things have been with COVID, and we're still definitely not out of it by any means, but I think that we can start to see not even curing COVID, or I'm not even talking about medically, but possibly just starting to figure out this new normal. We're just adjusting better to it now. And now the idea of sitting inside and going on a Zoom call and whatnot, that's not as foreign to me. It's not as debilitating to me. And so I think that's where part of this optimism is stemming from is that we're just starting to get used to it.
2: When you think about what you've just been through and as you look out to the longer term, what do you see are some opportunities that Colby should be thinking more about that would meet more of the student needs. You know, I think that a lot of leaders have a pulse, but the pulse is their impression. They don't really get out there and really listen to what the students are saying they, they want, or they do, but play sometimes lip service to the students that we we do want to show care, but often there are an enormous degree of complaints about small things and, and, and it would be very easy, even if I was in those roles myself, just want sort to of tune it out and say, what do we believe students are really looking for that, that we are not delivering? So this is your chance to tell leaders of institutions, all different kinds of leaders, all different kinds of roles, the kinds of things that from a student perspective would make a difference.
0: So I have three improvements that I think are incredibly tangible and really would not be very difficult to implement, but really would make a large difference, at least in my educational experience. The first one being is that consistency and centralization. And what I mean by that is I have. I took four different classes this semester. I had one class that was asynchronous. I had one class that was on Google Hangouts. I had one class that was on Zoom. And again, this is a period, it was a trial period. And that's, again, no one's fault. This is everyone trying to get used to things. But looking forward into the future, there really needs to be one software being used. And the reason why that's important is because I found myself going, okay, here I am ready for class. And I was sitting in an empty classroom for a couple of minutes. And then I said, oh shoot, I need to be over on Google Hangouts right now as opposed to Zoom. Or I'm shuffling around in my inbox trying to find a Zoom password or, you know, and those are little things that, really could be fixed with just some higher-up centralization saying, okay, everyone, the entire school is going to be on Zoom. And then if there's something specific for this one class that you think this model would work better, then let's talk about it. But there was no specific reason why one of those software platforms was better than another for my specific classes. So again, I think that that would be the first thing that I would say. The second thing... I really think that, and maybe this would be on Zoom's behalf, or maybe this would be the actual institution doing this, to send out a video on how to actually use this software. There was this huge assumption that because we're all, you know, these 20-year-olds that everyone just knows how to use this. We said, okay, like, let's send out this email and all, you know, teachers will undergo some type of experimentation and learning and training and whatnot, but the students never received any of that. And again, I think a lot of students were able to quickly adapt just because of our generation and how we've grown up with technology, but there definitely was a learning curve on the students' behalf that was just simply not addressed. And I think that that could be alleviated with Literally a five-minute video being sent out saying, okay, everyone, this is how you join your Zoom call. This is how you go on mute. It's a good thing to go on mute so we don't hear your dog barking in the back of the lecture, right? Things like that, because kids were just having to figure that out on the spot. And so I think that would be implementation number two.
2: And that's a real proactive way of recognizing the assumptions that we make in the background about students uh, that some of that, some of that lack of 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 recognition and offering that up, may have been that they were doing everything in their power just to get it built. Right. However, going forward, it's an important message to say: let's challenge our own assumptions about what we think they need and don't need. And the way you do that is you ask.
0: So the third one, and this goes back to the point that I was talking about, you know, you're sitting in on a math class and you go to ask a question. And normally in real time, asking that question would be something that's so simple. But when you're doing something online, you say, oh, well, if I want to ask that question, I have to send an email. And, and again, For the one student or two students who are really, you know, go getters and whatnot, maybe sending that email isn't a big deal. But I'm saying for the mass, for the majority of students, that one extra step really can serve as an obstacle to getting those answers. And I think the thing is, is how can teachers be just as accessible as they are on campus, but online? And I one of my professors, she came up with this great idea about hosting virtual office hours for the entire semester. And she said, okay. Every Tuesday from one to three, I will be in my virtual office. And if you want to swing by, swing by. And the thing is, is that that way, the student doesn't need to go and make their own individual meeting. They don't need to have like per se a very specific question or problem. They can just go in and it could even be something like, hey, how are you doing during this quarantine? So not only asking questions, but also that allows you to continue to build a good relationship with your professor. Because that's another reason Whether you're at a small institution or a larger one, people want to have good relationships with their professor. That's another part of the college experience, right? Like, we're not just going to these schools to get a YouTube education where there's a robot on the other side. We want to know these individuals as people. And so I think that in regards to actually building a relationship and also getting your questions answered without feeling like you have to go and make all these extra steps and hurdles in order to get the solution you're looking for.
2: What I, what I really appreciate about that is, if you're a faculty member listening to this, you either are saying, "Oh, great idea," or I'm already doing this. If you're a chief academic officer or provost or dean or chair, you are in a position to not just suggest but request that we do this. And this is a this is an important message that that leaders need to recognize is. There's too much suggesting and not enough requesting. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, this is something that I've discovered over the years is that, and that's part of the nature of the collegiality in the college environment is let me make a suggestion. But if, if you want to produce that across the board, the kind of consistency you talked about in terms of the technology, the way that faculty members across the board are offering office hours and thinking from that perspective, it's going to take, in some cases, the leaders to say, "This is what I expect you to do," right. right? And that won't be popular. You know, it's 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 very popular to make suggestions. It's not popular to say, "This is what I expect." Let's talk about your future. First of all, you got summer internships, and and all the different uh, ways this is evolving. Some schools are now going out of their way to try and make these internships possible, because many of them have been lost. But when you think about entering or or transitioning from the education experience into sort of the workforce or into the world, how are you feeling these days?
0: If you asked me that question a couple weeks ago, I would tell you I would I was feeling quite bleak, to be honest. And I think a lot of my peers felt the same way. I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to feel confident about entering a job market that's literally crashing before your eyes. And you worked so hard to have all these internship possibilities for the summer and you're watching them again, just be pulled and revoked. And again, no one's fault, but that's just the cold reality of all of this. Now, what Colby actually recently did was they launched this campaign and the school's motto is Dare Northward. And so this campaign is called Pay It Northward. And basically what they're doing is President Green has launched this program to reach out to 30,000 alums, family and friends, basically saying, let's protect the class of 2020, let's go out and get these students a job. And so the whole goal of the campaign is saying, we're going to get every single member of the class of 2020 a job. And he said, you know, we're asking 30,000 people. We should be able to come up with 300 jobs from that. I mean, those are pretty good statistics and pretty good odds there, right? And you know what? Whether that works out exactly how it's supposed to or whether a school can implement that, like a similar program, I understand it's not exactly plausible for a larger institution that doesn't just have 300 students that need a job. I totally understand that. But I think, though, that that willingness, okay, let's go and reach into our alumni network. Let's show that we can support like the future generation of, you know, whatever school you're going to, right? I think that having that support system and just having a school show, okay, we're going to have your back even after you graduate, that this isn't going to be something that you walk across the stage, or maybe you go and download your PDF diploma or whatever it is, and then you're done. So whether this is a total success, whether a school has a different way of implementing a similar mechanism, I think the biggest thing is showing no, we're going to stick with you after you graduate and we're going to make sure that either we can reach out to alumni support networks or whatever it may be that we're going to have your back. So that's been something that, at least for me, has increased my optimism a lot because I know that I'm not just going to be tossed to the wolves essentially after graduation.
2: It's a powerful declaration they're making. And like you said, there's no way to know if it's going to work or not work. But that's where it starts. It starts with somebody saying... Let's do this. We don't know how we're going to do it, but, but we have the, the, the confidence and commitment we can produce this. And it's the right thing to do. Right. right. So that's fantastic. It's so great to have you in this conversation because we don't listen enough to students. It's fascinating. Now. Part of this is because it's so easy to get caught up in the doing of one's job, the people that are actually you know, running your schools. And they're, they're like small cities in a certain sense. Mm. But I can't tell you the number of years I'd be in, in, in gatherings with leaders and they would be talking about their concerns, but rarely did the students' names or students' perspective come up. It was always in the background. And everybody talks about the core mission as the students and the research, but we don't take enough steps to have this kind of dialogue, right. uh, or we could be doing it more. So, so let me ask you, uh, s- to wrap this up, anything else that you want to convey to either fellow students that are in the middle of their education experience, or even people who have to execute on behalf of these students? Is there anything else you want to share?
0: one of my professors kept signing one of her emails saying, be kind to each other. And at first I looked at that and I was like, oh, that's a nice little memento. I think that as we go through this, that has meant a lot more to me just in regards to none of us know what we're doing right now. Literally none of us. We are all navigating these waters for the first time together. And so to place blame, to do all that, that's not productive. And I think that again, like this gets back to one of the comments that I was making about Zoom, that assumption that just students know how to use this. We don't know how to use everything perfectly, right? Like we are all equally blind together. And that's not a bad thing. That just means that we need to use each other and that we need to talk to each other. And again, I really appreciate you giving me this platform to possibly shed some light on that, that the student perspective does need to be brought into this conversation, because this is a two-way street, right? I really do think, though, that we will make this work. I am optimistic for the future. And maybe it's not the college experience that I had hoped for, but we are making history right now and we can make it the best that it can possibly be. And who knows how this is going to impact the future. And I, I think that this perspective too, though, is also crucial because for me as a college student, when I hear someone, in a, you know, some random adult get on TV and talk about this, I say, well, you don't really know what that's like. You don't know how hard it is to basically sit in your childhood twin bed writing a thesis, right? That's not what's supposed <laughs> to be happening. So- You know, I I can sympathize with all the college students out there that I too am going through this, that this has not been, you know, just some great dandy thing for me, but I really do think that moving forward in the future, if we do work together and listen to each other and be kind to each other, knowing that we're all equally as blind to this, we can get through it.
2: It's a great closing message, Heather. Be kind and we're all blind. (laughs) thank you so much for being on the podcast and I would love to continue obviously staying connected with you but also you know as you're navigating this have you back and you know you, you can tell us how this is evolving for you well we're gonna track your next 60 years <laughs> actually maybe I won't be
0: <laughs> sounds good
2: <laughs> all right I will talk to you soon thanks so
1: much
0: right thank you.
1: Thank you for joining us for this conversation. How are you navigating the shift ahead? We'd like to hear from you. Reach out to us at info at That's info at com. Share a tool or strategy that you're implementing as we lead into fall 2020. We'll compile and share as appropriate in a future show and work with you to learn together.